This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined by Kieran Rao, who is an Australian lawyer and TV certified geek from the 2021 series of Beauty and the Geek, I am guessing, over in Australia. So, Kieran, thanks for being a guest on the show. Uh, hi, Michael. Thank you for having me on. It's such a pleasure. So you're a certified geek, which makes me jump straight to how do we define what a geek is in today's world? Everyone's trying to be more unique and adventurous with how they spend their time these days. But how would you define what a geek is? Yeah, so I the the show that I was on, Beauty and the Geek, had a uh, you know in Australia had a season uh, of, uh, of several seasons run in the middle of the two thousands, and then took a long break and came back uh, last year, uh, and that was the big question: what what does a geek mean now as opposed to back in the early two thousands? Um, and uh, the what what ultimately the show was about, and and what I I kind of agree with is a geek is someone who uh, unapologetically loves their their hobbies and their interests and uh, embraces the things that make them quirky and unique. Um, it's also a bit of a self-definition. You're a geek if you want to be. I don't think anyone's excluded from the category of geek, right? Like, um, so it's, it's, it's a title you can use to say, I geek out about something. I, I'm so passionate about superheroes that I, I, it, I will not, I will not be ashamed to show that. And I think that's that's kind of cool. The idea that you can like love with all your heart, your interests. So is that kind of like, let's say you superheroes as an example, is that you've got different levels where people like me will go and see the films. People like me might buy a t-shirt here and there to represent the superhero that they like. But then you've got people that dress up as stormtroopers to Comic-Con and people that do the, the whole nine yards when it comes to what it is that they're passionate about. Is that how you would kind of think about it? And it's about the level of depth that you go in with your passions? I, but it could be, but it's a self-definition, right? So if if someone wants to be a superhero geek and the way they express their superhero geekdom is buying the shirt, I'm not going to tell them they're not a geek because they're not doing doing the cosplays, right? They, I think you're allowed to be a geek. <laughs> it's, it's generally a good thing, in my opinion. So what are the kinds of things that you yourself geek out about i imagine you may have a certain bar for the things that you dive into or maybe you don't maybe it's the little things that you know a great deal about what did you spend your time on being a geek yeah i i i'm i'm kind of uh, the 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 all-rounder geek uh, any anything that you would normally categorize as being geeky i'm really into but for the purposes of the show because they want everyone to have their niche i was the film geek i love I love film. I, I particularly sort of the the action adventures of of the '90s and early 2000s there, um, I, and and earlier as well. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Back to the Future, and uh, I I I love that movie with all my heart. Love it. So why don't we have hoverboards yet? I'm still waiting for mine. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I'm really wait. <laughs> when when uh, 2015 came around, I was really. It was a really hard moment to reconcile with the fact that that future is not coming. <laughs> there, there were many, many people that were praying for the hoverboards. They wanted hoverboards. They were daydreaming about them instead of doing their work. And the year ran around and we just had what looked like flying cars, that were just big helicopters at the time. And it just made me think, well, how odd how odd that we can wrap ourselves into something so much that it's almost life is forever underwhelming when we get down to that path where films and things you go yeah that's amazing and then reality is like oh, meh not really that bothered I, I mean i i think the actual version of 2015 was pretty was pretty impressive as well right having a computer in 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 a smartphone is not something that we could have envisaged in uh, in the 1980s when the the movies came out. Right? I uh, it's 
it, it was a good moment to compare fiction with reality. And I'm, I'm never disappointed with reality. I think we, we're pretty impressive, the human race. <laughs> we have definitely come a long way. And it also made me think that time travel had been invented before hoverboards. How, how does that work? Because obviously it goes back to the future, right? So time travel must have been around in the past, for want of a better expression. Yes. So how, how would that work in reality then? I mean, I know Doctor Who is not necessarily real, but I mean, if every police phone box can carry us somewhere, then we'd all dive in, wouldn't we? Yeah, 100%. I, I think um, you'd expect us to be able to travel through space quicker than we could travel through time. So I, uh, it is it is a, a funny quirk of the movies that they they cracked time travel before they cracked uh, hoverboards. <laughs> it was a joke, and I actually got old enough to understand it. I did have a laugh, but when Back to the Future came out, I wouldn't have a clue what I'm talking about now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, one of the things that it did actually spring to my mind as well was one of the things that became increasingly popular since Netflix's series Stranger Things is Dungeons of Dragons. And when I realized that that's one of the things that you spend a lot of time on, I would love to hear your thoughts on things like, you know, the, the Queen's Gambit film that made chess very popular. Do you see the same thing happening with Dungeons and Dragons, where there's a big influx of it since Stranger Things came out? Oh, 100%. Um, Stranger Things uh, really boosted the popularity of, of Dungeons and Dragons. And I think it was also well-timed that it was only maybe a couple of years before COVID. And COVID and lockdowns really was really a good thing for Dungeons and Dragons. It, it was a terrible thing for a lot of other places and society, aspects of society. Uh, but for Dungeons and Dragons, it was great because you can get with your friends on a Zoom call uh, and and just just enjoy the fantasy world for a few hours. Uh, and that was a much needed thing for a lot of us. Um, do you do you yourself play Dungeons and Dragons, Michael? I don't play Dungeons and Dragons. And I think the reason why, and this is purely because I've been diving into Stranger Things recently. Some of you that are listening may realize that the series is recently out, recently sort of topped the charts of Netflix. And it made me dive into it a bit more and look at it from a sort of higher I don't just veg out and watch it. I concentrate when I watch it. So there's two different versions of me. There's the vegging out version of me where I don't really pay much attention to what's happening. And then there's the switched on version of me that takes in everything all at once. It's one or the other of me, unfortunately. And it made me think that the whole film is built on one to three of the enemies within Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons, sorry, that has become real in the program. Um, is that the case or have they made those villains up? Because I don't actually play. So is it actually one of the creatures in the game? Yeah, so the three main villains are uh, Vecna, uh, the Demogorgon, uh, and the Mind Flayer. So the Demogorgon and Mind Flayer are two sort of races or creatures that you'll come across in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, And Vecna is a very popular villain uh, from one of the campaigns that came out in the, in the 80s so uh and he's a sorcerer um so it's it they it, clearly the duffer brothers are doing that on purpose they they want to really sort of ring that bell but yeah. the actual characters uh the the demogorgon is a low level um monster that you would fight like around level three or four um uh, they're not particularly scary but in stranger things the demogorgon is extra- extraordinarily scary um, and uh, the mind flayer is a uh, mind flayers are really are are terrifying, but they're like humanoid creatures with squid heads. Uh, they're not necessarily um, giant spider uh, creatures in the under uh, uh, upside down. So uh, the the creatures themselves are different. It's just the same names, uh, and it's, it's explained in the in in the universe of the show because the kids are all fans of Dungeons and Dragons. So I think that. It's amazing how they've crossed things over so well. Like if you wouldn't know Dungeons and Dragons or Stranger Things, you could do one or the other, and eventually you will find the other one. It's that like you start off in one universe, you will inevitably find the second one. 
Are there any other films like that or movies like that that make you think of games or how they interact? Well, I mean, so there was the uh, quite uh, there was Free Guy that came out fairly recently uh, on on Disney Plus. That was a big celebration of a whole bunch of video games, and there were uh, a lot of uh, a lot of sort of Zelda references and and references to uh, to GTA and um, uh, it, it was a it, it felt like a celebration. And when you got all those references, it was great. Ready Player One came out a few years before that, similar concept. Uh, uh, I, I think, and then we had Scott Pilgrim way uh, ages ago. There's, there is definitely a focus on sort of celebrating nerd culture in media, uh, which kind of brings us back to that first question of like, everyone is becoming geeks <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did also make me think as well. What do geeks have to do to push the the envelope to stretch things? Like if everyone's expressing themselves in a deeper way, if everyone's latching on to what makes them unique and becoming more of who they are behind closed doors to a certain extent, what's left for you guys then? Like what what's like geek of the geek? Because Dungeons and Dragons is definitely up there for me as far as fantasy game life creation kind of immersive games that is up there with yeah. some of the the bigger geek movements that you will come across and yet it's becoming normal for people to create worlds inside their heads now and and turn it into a bit of a lifelong dream walking scenario where you're constantly in the game even when you're not playing it what's left for you then i I again, I'm I'm all uh, a fan of expanding the the category of geek. I, I I I in terms of part part of me wants to weep for the loss of the exclusive club, uh, but no, I, I I think it's 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 <laughs> cool that everyone's sort of passions are being celebrated. It's cool that geek culture is now general culture uh, to a greater extent, and you can always you can always dive deeper that's the thing about any of these hobbies so you i dungeons and dragons i i play the game but there will be people there who play the game even to a greater degree of specificity and knowledge than than i do um and there's always in you can always push the bounds <laughs> it's like you i i think um there was a korean university uh, that that offers uh phd courses in the game dota um it's, wow. a, it's like an online uh, an online game that's extremely popular in korea it's like if you can get a phd in dota <laughs> uh if you can become a doctor of a video game i i think yeah uh, any you can always push the bounds <laughs> That must be very weird. Can you imagine, I mean, there may be job prospects for someone with those kinds of degrees, but can you imagine sitting down for like lawyer positions, right? That's kind of your, your background as well. Yeah. And it'd be like, what's your degree in? Oh, well, they've got like a lawyer thing with a secondary thing in Pokemon or, or something like that. And uh, my head would explode as the employer sat in front of someone who's got a degree in Pokemon. It'd definitely be enough to blow my mind. Oh, yeah, I'd hire them on the spot. <laughs> that's an excellent qualification <laughs> so is that the kind of thing that we're we're actually aiming for then are we aiming for diving deep in your passions the thing that makes you unique self-expression as a geek is enough to break the sort of traditional societal ways that we've governed in the past that they no longer fit anymore because of yeah. all these unique things that are happening I think I think it's a form of expression, right? So, um, a, a, an expression is a privilege. So, when when you live in a relatively stable society and you're not too worried about paying your paying your rent or feeding your feed, feeding yourself or your family, uh, you can express yourself, and it's it's a testament to how we've developed as societies, how we've grown, that we're at a point where people can really get creative. Uh, and it's a form of creativity, it's a form of expression to be a geek uh, and be a true geek. Uh, 
and really just like celebrate who you are. Um, so I I welcome it. I think it's I think it's amazing. Is there elements of that where you need to be at a certain point in your life whereby you can expand? It's almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where once you've taken care of food, shelter, social standing, you may use that as a way of informing the area that you take your geekiness, for want of a better expression, is it's the people you surround yourself with, it's the people that you want to get closer to, you know, be able to build that stronger connection with. You might use that to inform your decisions you know if no one in your circle likes Dungeons and Dragons then you're less likely to you still might but you're yeah. less likely to because you want no one to talk to about it is there elements of you need a certain level of safety or security in your life before this even becomes valid or do you know people that have dove into it no matter what maybe they've got safety and security from other areas maybe parents or or guardians or friends that have helped build that safety net for them i imagine that's a rarity though no mm, i i think i yeah, it's a really interesting question because thinking about it now i know uh, quite a few people who turn to their geeky interests because there are other aspects of their life that aren't necessarily um, sort of secure or safe. Um, and the geeky interest can provide a safe harbor for someone who's looking for one. Um, I, I know that sort of Dungeons and Dragons historically is a, is a, is a hobby of outcasts. You know, people, even within Stranger, the, the fiction of Stranger Things, you know, the Hellfire Club is, is all the outcasts in the school. Um, I think you need to have like basic safety and basic security, right? If you're, if you're fighting off tigers, you're probably not playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I mean, I'd be impressed if you found the time between. Uh, but I, I think uh, once you have that really, really low-level hierarchy um, uh, need uh, uh, hierarchy needs met, uh, I think it it does start to seep into the lower levels. So it it's a form of um, a lot of these these geeky interests are a form of emotional education, and emotional needs are lower on the Maslow hierarchy. If we're assuming that Maslow's is still valid, and I've heard people say that it's not, I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a psychologist, um, but emotional needs are are lower than sort of aspirational needs or wants, um, and. I think having these outlets for emotional expression, emotional education, and emotional connection, uh, some people need it and uh, as a survival thing. I guess it comes down to how you, I suppose, cope with your situation is different from person to person. Like my own coping mechanism comes in the form of creativity and exercise and they tend to be my my two go-tos um when it comes to other things i tend to have to feel like my head can focus on it and if i'm too busy worrying about something else it's very difficult to do it i'd rather have an hour where it's completely focused because i've had everything else met or ticked front of one of better expression that box is ticked therefore i can focus on something else it's better to have an hour where that is my feeling that's my reality everything's going great i'd rather have an hour like that than have to force myself to do four or five hours where i'm still worrying about something else because i can't be truly present and experience it and express it fully because it's always in the back of my mind there's always that worry there is that what you found maybe when you were doing research for the TV series as well, where you, I'm assuming you had to research things and dive into particular areas. Is that something that you found in in yourself when you were going down this road for the show? Uh, so in terms of research, I didn't have to do, I fortunately didn't have to do much research at all. I did a little bit of background research into the, the production company and into the, the elements of producing the show um, because it is... It's a risk. The decision to go on a reality TV show is a massive risk, especially for someone working in law uh, and me personally being a very risk adverse person. I don't 
like risk. Risk is awful. Get all risks away from me. I don't want them. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, the, uh, I I think you definitely hit on to something um, when when you say that the our outlets, whatever they may be, and everyone has different outlets. Um, they're they're so important to get, to to really in order to focus in other and thrive in other areas of your life. And if you don't have those outlets, um, uh, it can it can really drag you down, and it can and it, uh, things can start to blur together. What kinds of things did you do while you were on the show? So give us a bit of a, a brief on how many episodes you were in, what kinds of conversations that you were, I guess, instructed to have, for want of a better expression. I'm not fully aware of how the, the system works in reality TV, but give us a bit of a breakdown of, of what it was like for you. Yeah, for sure. So the show was Beauty and the Geek, and it was the big revival season uh, after about a 10-year break. Um, uh, the uh, I... I I kind of didn't expect to get cast on it when I applied, uh, but I applied, put a pretty low effort application and not expecting much, but interested to see what the process was like. Uh, and then before I knew it, I had cameras in my house and they were filming my backstory. And I hadn't even signed a contract at that point. It was, it was pretty intimidating. Um, wow. they, they, they didn't, um, <laughs> not not intimidating in a bad way, just uh, like it, it just, it happened very quickly. Um, the, um, I, I, I think, uh, we, we weren't really instructed to do very much. Uh, we had to do challenges each week. So we would do a challenge, which tested our teamwork with our, with our quote unquote beauty. Um, uh, uh, so the first week we had to improvise a, a seal show at, at a local zoo, uh, and make up seal facts in front of a live audience uh, <laughs> and then uh the second uh, the second episode we had to uh, we had to pretend to be fashion photographers uh and <laughs> uh and take photos that were resembled uh sort of uh, fashionable photos um the third episode we hosted a radio show kind of very much like what you're doing here yeah um uh, <laughs> that, that one wasn't probably wasn't my, one of my stronger performances <laughs> I think a highlight <laughs> of the challenges for me was a uh, we got to do some professional wrestling against real professional wrestlers in wow. uh, in Sydney. So and and what they don't tell you about professional wrestling is even though it's fake, it hurts. Right? So it's all choreographed, but they were like genuinely hitting us, and I had a big yeah. handprint on my chest for about three weeks afterwards because uh, they were trying to leave it. it. It was something that they took a lot of pride in. Um, uh, we, uh, we created superheroes, we, lots of fun challenges like that. Um, outside of the, outside of the challenge aspect of it, there was a lot of, uh, relationship stuff. So there was, with our season, they put a additional focus on, uh, connection, be it platonic connection or romantic connection. They, they, they wanted both. Um, uh, and so they sh they shuffled the pairings around to try to get you paired together with the person that you had the strongest connection with. Um, uh, I was in the season for about six episodes out of the total of 12. Uh, uh, yeah, so it gave me an opportunity to, uh, to experience the show uh, a significant amount, uh, but I didn't get the money. <laughs> There was a there was a <laughs> prize at the end, uh, and uh -huh. it was it was won by uh, Lachlan and Kira, who deserved it. <laughs> what did you find out about romance and relationships while doing the show? Then, because you must have gone on quite the journey yourself in terms of like I don't know if you're single or you have a a girlfriend, partner, wife, as well as being on on the show. But did you learn anything about relationships while being on the show yeah a hundred percent so everyone on the show was single uh and i think that that was for a reason they wanted to encourage their romantic relationships um i went on to the show not expecting to get into a romantic relationship i i categorically uh, said i'm not doing it it's it's a it's a it's a sucker's game 
Um, my my sisters warned me, terrible idea, Karen. Don't don't do it. Um, <laughs> uh, and so I we we got paired up, and I got paired up with with my beauty, uh, a, a, a a woman named Brianna, a journalist. Um, and uh, we it, it's it's a really interesting experience when you're in the reality TV world because what happens or what happened with us I don't know if this is common for reality TV or if it was just because we were filming kind of during COVID during lockdown um what would happen is a lot would happen on camera and then the cameras would stop rolling and they'd separate everyone and you'd all be separated and sitting in silence effectively when the cameras aren't rolling uh and that kind of does something to your brain <laughs> where you're just desperate for those connections when the cameras start rolling again. Um, uh, uh, there, was a, there was a pretty immediate sort of chemistry between me and, and my beauty. Uh, we, uh, so we, so when, when we could talk, which was limited, uh, we, we talked a lot. <laughs> Um, we try to get as much data across one to another as quickly as possible. Um, and, and during the downtimes, we get sort of fed uh, information about each other through the producers. So I don't know if there was a little bit of stirring. There probably was. I would mm. be surprised if there was. But it was all, yeah. but the, the feelings are genuine. And that's, that's a weird thing because it's kind of like being a... a I'm, I'm a mouse in a lab experiment. Um, I Part of the reason I think I got cast is I hadn't been in a relationship before the show. So, right. and I'm, and I'm, uh, I'm currently 31. I was 30 when the show uh, was filmed. So I, I, it was, it was a, an opportunity to, to learn a bit more about something that I hadn't really had as part of my life. Um, uh, yeah, the nature of relationships. I, I'm currently in a relationship, my my first proper non-TV relationship, uh, and it's going really well. That must be a bit strange when you're being fed information about someone that you're sort of maybe in a relationship with. And did you ever get to a point where you wanted to connect with them and it didn't necessarily matter what information they gave you. It was almost like an, an annoyance that they keep feeding you information when you maybe were trying to find it out rather than be told it from the outset. Um, yeah, I, I, it wasn't so much an annoyance. It was more, uh, there, was a, there was a craving, I think, to try to get those moments of connection around the producers. So, um, there was I at one point during the show I tried to pull off a heist. Um, the the way that the that we were sort of boarded was the the geeks all had apartments on one floor of this massive skyscraper in Sydney, and the beauties had a, apartments on a different floor, uh, and they had security guards sort of roaming the halls. We were allowed in and out of our apartments, but we weren't allowed onto each other's floors. It was sort of like a right. like a summer camp system. Um, so I, uh, after after I'd gotten sort of a makeover because of uh, my beauty's winning of a, of a competition. So she did something that got me something. I was, I, I wanted to show my gratitude in a way that felt genuine and, and real. So uh, I, I went out, I bought some flowers and I, I, I snuck up to their floor uh, sort of dodged the dodged the um, security guards uh, yeah. and left it outside of her front door with a with a little note. Um, I I go back to my room and about maybe fifteen minutes later I get a, a like quite an angry knock on my door, uh, and it was uh, it was one of the producers uh, along with one of the executive producers, one of the big ones. Uh, and they came in and they said, uh, with and they came in with my flowers and they said, "You're not allowed to do this." <laughs> they, <Right>. wow. <laughs> so they they made me go back the next morning <laughs> and deliver the flowers it, with cameras because <laughs> I was allowed to do it with cameras, but I was allowed to do it behind the scenes. So, oh wow! Um, 
I understand. I get it. I understand. This is all content for them, right? They, the, the, the connection and the development of that relationship is what ultimately draws eyeballs onto the screen. But I remember, I remember, I, I, I named the producer the, the, the love Grinch <laughs> uh, <laughs> as, a, as an affectionate way of, of making fun of the fact that he got in the way. <laughs> so is that is that? be compromised then because the alternative would be they follow you around big brother style with cameras so that if you did anything off the cuff then they'd be there to catch you i suppose it's one or the other really because as you said they do need content don't they yeah i think so ultimately they're paying for everything right they're paying for the rooms we're staying in they're paying for security they're paying for uh the the whole reason we're there of all the experiences we're getting to have we signed up for a reality show to have an experience that is unreal, right? It, that's the irony of a reality show. No reality show matches any of our realities. It's yeah. it's a it's a unreal experience, um, and one that we want. We want this unreal experience. So um, I I, th- I think it was it made sense to me. <laughs> I, I get I get it. <laughs> it is, uh, but sometimes you do get a little bit frustrated, and you do start yeah. to think. Uh, oh, I just want to do this thing. Let me do the thing. <laughs> and especially so, when you're trying to when you're trying to do a romance, right? Like if you're, because um, that's I think that's the reason why. I can't speak for other reality shows. I can't speak for um, uh, for other contestants and other experiences. But I think reality TV has a pretty poor track record with creating genuine romances. And it's not for lack of trying, and it's not for lack of chemistry during the actual show. It's just that there is a lot of trappings around those relationships. And when those trappings fall away, it's kind of like having um, yours, uh, ha- having the leg of your chair kicked from underneath you, right? Like you can, you might be able to catch your balance, but you are thrown off. Um, uh, and that certainly happened with me and my beauty. We didn't stay together very long, um, uh, but it wasn't for lack of trying. I think it was. Uh, it's a it's a weird artificial experience. I can get where you're coming from as well because it must feel like it's not genuine because you do it when the cameras are rolling, whereas because you did the the act when the cameras weren't rolling that's probably your way of feeling more genuine like you didn't wait for the cameras to roll before you did anything and i guess it wouldn't be received in the same way either and the difference between it being on camera when her reaction to be filmed as well versus it all being behind closed doors and you can really feel the connection of if the act of kindness or love or generosity or, or whatever it is it can feel very sanitary in the attempt to try to make it real just because you're documenting it yeah I, I you do get to a point during the filming process and it happens sooner than you probably think it does where you you kind of forget that the cameras are there a little bit but there is a little part of your brain that is aware that they are there um it's the part it's the same part of your brain that Besides, not to, this is probably not a good time to scratch my bum, right? Like, because <laughs> there's a camera watching, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I think that's also the part of the brain that stops you from being able to be fully connected with anyone, right? Because connection is vulnerability. And what I've, what I've learned in my first proper relationship since the show is it's, when you're when you're connected with someone and when you're being really extraordinarily vulnerable with someone um it's terrifying and it's scary and it would i can only imagine how much more terrifying and scary it'd be to do that to have those real moments the moments that really that are crushing in front of a camera right um because yeah i i try to be as authentic as I could in front of the camera but I think there's always going to be a limit and that's the tension with reality tv it's people feel like reality tv is fake and people think that reality tv is scripted and it's neither of those things but it is limited 
because I, I, I wonder that it's kind of that quantum theory of the process of observation changes the outcome. Uh, it's, it's impossible for the cameras to be invisible. It's impossible for the production to be invisible as much as they might try. Um, and uh, that will ultimately change what happens. So does that mean that your current relationship that is not televised, would you say that it's easier to actually have a relationship off camera and away from the producers and everything because that limit's no longer there? Oh, there, there's nothing easy about it. <laughs> there's nothing easy about the relationship. I think it's, I think it's, it's more, it's more natural. It's, uh, it's more natural and it's, uh, uh, there's more opportunity for that. I can only imagine going through some of the, the, the fights and, and the, the vulnerable, vulnerable moments and the moments that are, um, are a little bit sticky. Uh, and those are, that's what really, I, I believe those are the moments that really define your relationship and define the strength of the, uh, the core of your relationship. And having those in front of a camera where you're also concerned about the opinions of other people outside of the opinion of the person that you're trying to connect with and sometimes failing to connect with, um, I think that would, that would be almost, that'd be a Herculean task. How do you have a relationship in front of a camera? I don't, I don't know how you can do it. I honestly don't. I think it's, uh, if, if, if anyone out there uh, does know it, I'd, I'd be keen to hear from them because it's, it just seems so hard. Is there anything that you took with you lessons wise from the show that you use today? And is there anything that would only really work in reality TV and the real world just doesn't map to that? Yeah, so um, one, I, I think my confidence has popped through the roof. Part of one aspect of the show that we haven't really talked very much about, but was is like the highlight of the show. It's the big selling point is the is the makeover. So um, I, I I I don't know if you've seen any of the show, but I I prior to at the beginning of the show, I had a big bushy beard and a big hairy boy, uh, and by the end of the show, I look a little bit closer to how you see me now. Um, uh, the, um, that experience is, is, is really, um, is really interesting and educational, really. Um, I learned a lot about fashion and, and dressing myself. And that's, a, that's a skill that I was interested in learning and I learned, and it's probably one of the more contentious aspects of the show. I know it puts some people on alert because they, they hear about it and they're like, oh, why do you, why do you need to change? Aren't you fine the way you are? And I think I, I understand that criticism and I understand that critique, but I think it misses the point of, um, I went onto the show for that change, partially. <laughs> like I, I yeah, wanted yeah. that change. I welcome that change and I welcome that education and that knowledge uh, from experts in that field. You know, we had uh, world-renowned stylists and world-renowned hairdressers and world-renowned um, uh, teams working on us to make us look look good or look different from how we normally present ourselves. And I think that's the type of experience that a lot of people would welcome. Um, and uh, it's, I've had it said that we should be, I've had it, I've heard the criticism that the geeks in the show should be fine, the, should feel fine the way they are. Uh, but for whatever reason, a lot of the geeks don't, and that's a that's a societal thing. That's a thing that um, uh, that's been uh, taught to them. It's also a personal thing. Maybe maybe they yeah. have some some personal um, uh, obstacles to overcome. For whatever their reason, they've come onto the show with the knowledge and with the want to change, and. It's, I think that should be respected <laughs> and acknowledged because if people want to change, finding out where to start is a valuable, um, a valuable lesson. And that's one of the reasons why when people call the show outdated or, 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 or criticize the stereotypes of, that the show sort of kind of plays with, I, I, I do like to push back a little bit on that. 
it's almost like telling someone that struggles with nervousness and anxiousness to just relax it's like you're trying to it's like they already know they already know that they're supposed to relax and so you already know you're supposed to feel comfortable in your own skin and the way that you look and present yourself but ultimately you don't and i think that is very very valuable as well like you have to respect their current position you have to respect where they're at if someone's uncomfortable you, there's no point in telling them that they should be comfortable. We have to understand and acknowledge that they don't currently. Otherwise, they're never going to change. They're never going to actually grow and develop because everyone's convincing them that they're wrong, that how they feel isn't how they feel or how they think isn't how they think. It's like we're being told that we are essentially lying to ourselves the entire time. And I, I think that's a very dangerous road to go down when we start doing that. And everyone that ever says it, is trying to help that they're trying to be the opposite of how they feel which is in essence what the solution would look like but they've got to figure out the how to do that it's no good saying someone to relax it's no good telling someone to be comfortable in their own skin that's the outcome that's the end result the end result is that you're able to relax the end result is that you're able to be comfortable in your own skin but there's about 10 steps tiny steps that you'll probably need to take before you can get to that outcome and very often you know that being comfortable in your own skin being happy with yourself is what you want and in some ways that's why you're there as you said you're there to go down this road to get to the point where you're comfortable in your own skin you've probably been told about a thousand times to be comfortable in your own skin that's how you attract the right person and all those things but it's almost like it doesn't really help you. It's like a solution for someone that needs one or two steps, not someone that needs 10. It doesn't really work that way to just skip to the end and pray that everything else works out. Yeah, 100%. I, I think when... I, I, I think exactly that. There, it's People want to go through a process and whatever process that takes i think that process should be accepted taken on its own terms <laughs> um i i yeah i get i get i i understand the problematic nature of a show called beauty and the geek because what is a beauty what is a geek uh you're uh, they're playing up these stereotypes they you've got the guys there with the thick rim glasses and you've got the girls there with the with the uh sort of revealing dresses and they're playing up the fact that the geeks are smart and the beauties are are uh are, are sort of characterized as less intelligent um what i think that our season of the show the reboot here in australia and i believe they're rebooting in the uk based off of the success of our season um uh tried to do was really uh really celebrate both of those roles and really show them as complex and three-dimensional and to the extent that they can and we've talked we've been critical of the the role of the camera and the the limiting factors of reality tv but i think they did a pretty good job and they tried their they tried real hard uh to to show the growth of of both groups um so I, I I am ultimately proud to have been involved in that production because I think it is it is a it's a beautiful sweet show and I I hope Michael if you haven't watched it uh, uh, you get a chance to or at least watch the UK version I I expect it's going to be uh, fantastic as well. It's definitely a difficult thing. I mean, when you've got to portray reality in a way when everyone knows, in essence, just because you've got cameras there makes it a very difficult job. And when you mentioned whether it be stereotypes or characterizations of different types of people in this day and age, it's even harder to do because there's so many categories now, whether it's identity, conformity, different categories of people are showing up all over the place. It must be very difficult for you to go under the banner of geek when you're probably aware that there's different levels. There's a geek within this area, might know nothing about the other area, and it just becomes a mess which makes me think reality tv is going to have a much more 
difficult job moving forwards because they have to really, really understand what they're trying to do and how they're trying to come across. Like there's probably a very, very smart, beautiful person somewhere, whether it be a boy or, or a girl, you know, man or however you, you want to do it. There will be women out there that will classify themselves as geeks and they're also good looking. What happens then? Is that like season 10 when we all walk in and go, so you're both then? You go, yeah, 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 I, I do a bit of everything. Yeah, I don't, I don't need a, a relationship, but it'd be really cool to find someone that could contribute or someone that can add to the, the skills and traits that I have. And then the producers that have a real test of, of their knowledge then trying to find someone for, for that particular individual which just makes it so complicated are we moving away from reality tv now do you think do you think it's had its day do you think it's going to become too difficult for producers to navigate this thing because the amount of negativity that some of you must get would be sky high at the moment i can only imagine that getting more and more complicated to navigate when you can't just call someone a geek because they like Dungeons and Dragons. Loads of people do. It's how do you sit there and go, well, I'm a geek with film, let's say. And yet all they really do is watch the films at the cinema on open day, you know, the open weekend or whenever the film very first comes out. They're always at the very first show and of every single film you ever want to watch. And yet there are people out there dressing up as stormtroopers. And I, I think it's becoming very, very complicated. And I think reality TV has a very, very, very difficult job. Hmm. I think so here in Australia, reality TV is an institution. Our most popular shows are reality TV shows. Um, uh, and it's it's a large part of our, our media infrastructure for better and for worse. Um, I, and I think there's a, a number of reasons for that. It's probably cheaper to, to, uh, to produce than sort of scripted stuff. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's easy to pump out content. People can connect with the real human beings and there's more engagement, more, um, uh, more opportunity to promote it. So I don't see reality TV really going anywhere. Um, although like, the ratings are a fraction of what they were sort of back in the day, right? Back in the early 2000s, or if you go further back, um, sort of the Survivor days the, or the Amazing Race yeah. days, mm -hmm. that, that was the heyday of reality TV. And now it's now it's more splintered because there's more shows. It's not you're not no one's not everyone is tuning into the same show anymore, and not everyone's watching TV. There's a lot of people are watching um video on demand and or not watching anything at all you know they might they might be uh doing doing outside stuff i don't know i'm a geek i don't do the outside stuff um i i i think it's an it's an interesting question that you raise about um the categorization of reality shows because beating the geeks in, uh is is an older style reality show in that it defines its contestants really concretely. You've got beauties and you've got geeks, and they're defined. Um, in our season, a lot of the beauties were quite geeky. Uh, we had one beauty who was really into D&D. &D. Um, and so the, the distinction between beauty and geek, it, it, they, ultimately, they're not mutually exclusive, category, uh, 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 exclusive categories. Um, uh, but the show wants to build that tension by treating them as mutually exclusive categories. So uh, that is that is a hard that's hard for producers, I think, to to develop that narrative when there is so much blurring of the different worlds. Um, uh, it's it's probably less of an issue for sh for other reality shows like like your Survivors, like your Hunteds, like uh, where where they don't need to categorize the contestants as much. They can just be this is John. John is really good Makes at sense. survival. Yeah. Um, and he is who he is. And I we don't have to define him as a geek. <laughs> so I I even though he also loves Dungeons and Dragons. So I I I I think there there are discussions to be had about identity and I identity is huge. It's such a massive thing. Uh, and a lot of a lot of society craves a more concrete understanding of their identity. And I think that was one of Beauty and the Geek's 
strengths in that it takes such a such a bold and like earnest approach to identity. It starts with one thing, right? It's the word beauty and the, or the word geek, and it expands from there. And you can see how the strength of those terms can 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 really um, elevate people, but they can also limit people. So take the good parts and leave the bad, right? I'm a geek when it when it helps me, but it, the moment geek becomes not useful, if it starts interfering with my ability to date, my ability to connect with other people, because I define myself as a geek and not worthy, then I don't need that label anymore. I, the labels are there, should be there, and the identities should be there if they're helpful. And you're not married to anything. I think that's a very interesting topic as well, is that a lot of people can be so tightly latched onto their identity. And it's almost like a lot of the friction that you may experience comes from when you don't fit the category that they've put out. Like they've put out this narrative, they've told this story, they portray it in a certain way, and yet that's not how you are that's not how you go about your your life and i i think that becomes complicated but also it's almost like the consumer needs a little bit more responsibility here like it's it's how they're being portrayed they're not pretending to be you so you as the consumer need to acknowledge the fact that look this is their version of it they're happy to do it otherwise they wouldn't be on the show mm. if you don't want to do it you're happy to not portray it in that way you're happy to not be what they've dictated is what a geek is supposed to be or what a beauty is supposed to be and i think there needs to be like i don't know whether reality tv even do this by the way they probably do is that there needs to be a mutual understanding of if you don't fit this fantastic if you do fantastic it's fine if you enjoy it if you don't it's not a representation of you as the consumer and it's happening that much that sometimes not often but sometimes i sit down and i think why do we get angry about something when if it was the other way around the other people that it used to fit with and now doesn't fit with they're then going to get angry. So you can't please everybody. This is why majorities work. <laughs> it's like this is the why you've got to look at the data, look at what the majority is, because the alternative is you upset more people. Yeah. So you can't win this war with consumerism and people thinking that everyone should be represented. It can't be done because you can try to and still fail. So the only way to do it is to look at generalizations that overlap with the most number of denominations of people and just go with it. You've got to be bold and commit to it. Otherwise, you're doing a disservice to those that you do represent. Yeah, 100%. I, I, it, we could get rid of the terms beauty and geek. Uh, like To whatever extent, those are still relevant to society. And I question whether or not they are. In, in in the real world, in the non-reality TV world. Uh, do, are a lot of people out there sort of calling each other beauties and geeks? Probably, probably less than I'd you'd expect. Um, but I I think uh exactly what you said. I, if it, it's the show is trying to make a point. And you start you start with a bold claim and then you justify it and you nuance it and you chip away at the bold claim and the bold claim is beauty and geek and that's um that's what they're trying to celebrate and I, I think it's sweet i think it's a sweet sweet program i think one of the things as well is there two categories of people that way back when probably when the show first started they were at polar opposites of the dating spectrum like geeks were not commonly with very beautiful of the opposite sex, whether it be, you know, boys or girls, whichever, men or women, however you want to think about it. And beauties would generally not go for, in her quotes, geeks, people that have an over commitment or depth to particular subjects that from the outside world, no one really 
cared much about. We'll use Dungeons and Dragons as an example, even though it's not really relevant. That that's something that a bit like Beauty and the Beast, you know, the people that are not massively good looking, beasts in air quotes, yeah. suddenly being with beauties, it didn't, it wasn't a popular thing, it wasn't a common thing, and yet it would still happen. So they had a bit of bit of popularity because it was evident that it did happen every now and again, but it was what we would perceive as. So is there an argument then that we are, as consumers anyway, you've got this unrecognition of the way that we used to be? Like there's the whole beauty and geek thing, if we stick on that for a minute, it is a bit odd that they would be in the same room together way back when, back when we were a bit more discriminatory about who we spent our time with. Now all of a sudden we're not, and yet we look back as if it was um, millions of years ago, when it wasn't, it was like four. And yeah. all of a sudden now we're judging ourselves from the way that we used to think. And a TV show is simply representing that, it's just simply representing the way that things used to be. Mm. I it's the, it's such an interesting show because it, it to a certain degree the producers wanted to have their cake and eat it too right like they did bring in the representatives of the two groups that wouldn't match up well all the all the geeks had had limited to no dating experience and all the beauties had had um uh, dating experiences that might not have been the most positive or healthy or are nice right so the idea being let's bring these people together that aren't necessarily finding each other in the in the outside world um which is which is a cool concept i but you're absolutely right beautiful people and geeky people are meeting each other every day and it is more of a common occurrence uh it's not it's not it's not that special it's not that special to happen um uh i think there is a little bit of uh, reflecting on the way that we used to be more um, uh, and the way that those those groups were probably more widely segregated than they are now. And a little bit of patting ourselves on the back and saying, look how far we've come. And I don't I don't mind that. I think that's that's cool. It's 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 a good opportunity to recognize progress as well. I like that. I like that the, the show did actually take on that role they took on the mantle so to speak of like someone's got to do this someone has to address the elephants in the room and we need to bridge that gap we need to actually build this overlap between the two and i think as well it also actually shed some light on the fact that there is an overlap way back when there may not have been one from the outside looking in but then through the show people have realized oh hey we have more in common than we realize we're not as different as we thought that we were people that are geeky in her quotes can be good looking can have quirks can have things that make them stand out make them probably seem attractive to people that have more outward good looks you know they may maybe they're not all that bright maybe they've got something that makes their look seem a bit okay well you've got good looks but you don't really have much else it's a bit more superficial perhaps it, it probably sheds light on a lot of different things socially and it addresses a lot of assumptions a lot of connecting the dots in not necessarily the right way and i think the show did a good job of doing that i just think the world has actually shifted again like again again and we've realized that reality TV has a much more difficult job than it used to. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think, I, I agree. <laughs> I've lost the point I was going to make. <laughs> That's okay. It's, it's one of those interviews that gets deeper as it goes along. We started off fairly straightforward, and every time we've, we've bounced off each other. It's got deeper and deeper and deeper until we're sort of putting the world to rights all over again. And it, it, it's an interesting conversation, really, because I was really keen to go down the deeper philosophical aspects of reality TV. And I think we've done that. I think we've definitely addressed a lot of the 
the topics, a lot of things that I think needs to be said. I'd be really curious as to where you see the future of reality TV going. Do you agree with what we've said so far? Do you think there's a piece missing? How do you see reality TV playing out in the next, say, five years? So I have a, I have like a, a pet peeve with reality TV, there's one aspect of it that, that I just wish we'd get rid of. I don't know if we are. I, I, I don't see any evidence that this is um, that is this is happening, but I I would watch more reality TV if this became the case. It's the it's the interviews to camera and the the talking talking directly to the audience. Reality TV historically, and I think this started with like The Bachelor way back when. Um, they used the the talking uh, talking heads um, uh, interview as a way of expressing the internal, uh, and part of that is because they didn't trust um, trust the audience to understand the subtleties and nuances of interactions. And one aspect of reality TV that, that I think is really uh, sort of beautiful uh, to watch is watching two human beings interact in uncertain terms and seeing that process. And that is some, something that reality TV has in spades. There's lots of moments where two human beings are interacting and they're not necessarily communicating or they're not necessarily saying what they're thinking. And we can see that. And reality TV has a, a terrible habit of interjecting at that moment with a talking head that tries to clarify the uncertainty. And I, I hope for the future of reality TV that we start respecting reality TV audiences a little bit more uh, where they can just leave the uncertainty. Not everything has to be explained. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, uh, a relic of the past that people associate with reality TV that I think is probably best left. So was that where reality TV is you as the person watching is simply the fly on the wall, the person that is just watching it all unfold. They don't have to speak to the audience. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, hundred um, percent. There was a there was a reality TV show called Night with My Ex, um, which uh, I, I yeah, it was a, it was an American show, but I think they flew people in from around the world. Um, and it was almost really good. <laughs> the, 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 show, the show would have these people who were in a relationship who come back together for uh, one day and there's all these hidden cameras watching them and they're just talking about why they broke up. And one of them's trying to convince them to get back into the relationship and one of them's uncertain. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to watch. But in just in the moments where you're trying, when you're when you're seeing something really interesting happen, they'll cut to the explanation, um, and it, it'll be one person's explanation. And this is this is the film nerd in me, right? Like, I don't want I don't want that in my films. Like, I like the uncertainty in my films. I think if we treat uh, reality TV as just another form of media, similar to a movie. You'd never want something like that. You wouldn't want the narrator to pop in and say in the middle of sort of a, a heated argument, I was really upset because <laughs> like, no, you, you, don't, you, don't want that, you don't want that clarity. You don't want that certainty. No one wants that certainty. People want mystery and they want to, um, they want subtlety. And that's, it's nice as an audience to watch. Uh, it's also, again, Emotional education. Why do we why do we consume art? Why do we consume media? Why do we watch reality TV? This is this isn't a passive experience. It's we watch it to learn uh, learn about our emotions, learn about other people's emotions, learn learn about communication, learn about morals, uh, and uh, that's why we have water cooler chats after the fact, right? We talk about what happened yesterday on, on Married at First Sight. Uh, because someone did something morally abhorrent, and we as a society are collectively learning what what is okay and what isn't. Well, Kieran, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I really hope that we get the chance to have a round two. But I thought I would give the chance to share how people can find out more about you, those that are listening, and then we'll 
we'll look forward to keeping in touch. But how can people find out more about you? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, I'm I'm mainly just on Instagram. You can find me at Kieran K I R A N Rao R A O A U as in Australia. Uh, uh, that's my Instagram handle. Um, otherwise, uh, I, yeah, no, I, I, I thank you so much for inviting me on, Michael, and I do hope we stay in touch. I'd love to do a round two. That'd be amazing. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Kieran, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you for having me. If you want to join a group of like-minded people that are all out to achieve their goals, their dreams, their aspirations, and they get the help and support from me and the other members, then my inner circle is for you. There's a link in the description for this episode to get two months free of the inner circle. So you set your membership up, you get two months free access. Hopefully I'll see you there and I look forward to helping you on your journey of achieving the life that you want.